Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be in verse 25 and following there. Page 1117 in your pew Bible. Matthew 6, verse 25 and following. As you're turning there, let me just say, echo what uh, Kent mentioned in his prayer. So glad to have those back from our Honduras trip. We pray the Lord's blessing on what they've done. And remember, we still have... Uh, some of our church folks down there ministering. So keep them in your prayers. Thank you for what the Lord has done and what He's going to do there. Um, if you have that, Matthew six twenty five. will you stand with me this morning as we read God's Word? The Word of God says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first His kingdom, or excuse me, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We do pray today that we would be encouraged, convicted. We would seek to conform ourselves to your word. We pray that you would work mightily through your spirit. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, you can see there was no title printed in the chimes today. That's because I, I really couldn't come up with one. Let's see if there's one up there. No, not yet. I just thought maybe somebody did it for me. Um, I did consider a few, I thought, consider the lilies, that's a great title, from verse 28, I thought, maybe even sufficient for the day, sounds like a good book title, and I even workshopped Don't Worry, Be Happy, you know, from Bobby McFerrin, so I, I don't really have a set one, but I think the most obvious title would be, just do not be anxious, it's a little on the nose, but it works for what we're doing here today, do not be anxious. In this one passage that we read just 10 verses. Now I know it doesn't look like 10 because it's 25 to 34. Where's Alan back? Is he in here somewhere? If he's in here, Alan can help you. He's a school teacher. Because uh, I was confused about that. But in these 10 verses, um, Jesus says a phrase over and over again. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Three times. You might know that in the Bible, when it was written, there were no exclamation points. There's no bold type to emphasize something. The way you emphasize something in the Scriptures was 
to repeat it, to say it once and then say it again. And if you really wanted to get someone's attention, occasionally, rarely, you might say it three times. As a matter of fact, we are convinced that God's prime characteristic is His holiness, and the majority of that is based on one text in Isaiah where He said to be what? Holy, holy, holy. Three times. I think Jesus means us to pay attention here. I think that this is pretty important. I think the repeated command, do not be anxious, is no accident. It's not just a command, though. It is a counsel. I, I like that. I, got, I stole that from Matthew Henry's commentary. This command and counsel from Jesus. It's good advice, and it's a command. It's important. We ought to listen to this command. Do not be anxious. In today's world, though, boy, it's hard to get away from it. We see examples of anxiety all over the place, everywhere you look. As a matter of fact, I bet that the majority of us this morning saw an example of anxiety when they were brushing their teeth this morning, right? You looked up in the mirror and there you were. I know that because we all tend to carry the weight of worry and anxiety about something. Some of us truly, you know, are not as bad as others. Some of us worry a lot. Some of us worry a little. But for all of us, we carry some sort of anxiety. And the world, it seems, is out to get us. You know, that, that's a popular thought, isn't it? But I think here, man, it's hard to see otherwise. Looks like we're in an anxiety crisis in the world today. Anxiety and worry permeates our society. Not only that, but it's hard to get away from. We are worried. We're constantly worried we're plugged into everybody all the time. I'm worried about my family. I'm worried about my friends. True. But beyond that, we carry the burden for our entire communities, for our nation. Somehow, some way, we manage to stay plugged into the troubles of the entire world, it seems. Social media, modern technology has made that possible, isn't it? One tragedy after another hits the news ticker, hits the Facebook feed, the Instagram stories. It's always one thing we have to worry about until it's something worse, and that plays on loop. And then there are the good old-fashioned traditional worries. Health, family, happiness, possessions, the Braves making the playoffs, you know, the things we all worry about. We sang the song, Count Your Many Blessings, and it's a, it's a great song. I wanted to sing that this morning. I thought about it in this text today. i tell you why I thought about it, because I feel like I'm doing the opposite most of the time. I don't know about you, but I feel like I keep better track of my worries and my fears and what could go wrong than I do of my blessings. If we were to... Be honest with ourselves. Are we better at counting our blessings or counting our fears? Counting the things that we are supposed to be upset and worried about? It's my prayer for us today that we leave here better equipped to handle the stresses and worries of life. This is not a, a silver bullet. It's not going to destroy and kill every anxiety in your heart. But it is, hopefully, in this text, tools to help you 
as we go along our way. I'm going to make four observations, four truths that I want to share with you from the text as we work through this idea, do not be anxious. The first one comes from verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And here's the core of it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He talks about food and clothing here. Let's, let's take food first. I think when Jesus says food, he, he's implying something bigger than food. It's the life-giving sustenance that food brings. You and I have a hard time seeing food as life-giving because we've grown up in an era and in a time and probably in a home where food wasn't scarce. Many of us probably never feared that we would run out of food, except maybe, you know, oh, we don't have anything to eat tonight, which means there's nothing really that I want in the pantry. It's not empty. Food is recreational for us. We think about, where are we going to eat after church or this and that? But for the ancient Near Eastern folks, the, the first century Judeans that this was written to that where Jesus was speaking famine was a very real possibility so food for them was about survival staying alive and even though we may not have run out of food survival is a priority for all of us right I want to survive I want to do what it takes to stay alive most all of us hope to live a long and happy life and that's true for almost everyone but our worries crop up in this area, don't they? I, I, you see, I'm probably not diagnosable, but I'll go ahead and say a bit of a hypochondriac. I am always on the verge of some health crisis. But you know what exposed that in my life was being married to a nurse. She helped me see the air of my ways. Uh, and I've realized now that unless I am recently been uh, missing a limb then I am, quote, worried about nothing and I'm going to be just fine. So I have figured out that maybe it's not the end of the world, but I still can't help myself. I'm constantly worried. Is this, is this pain here? Is this a sign of something worse? I get a twitch in my eye and I imagine myself with an eye patch for the rest of my life. <laughs> I'm worried about my health. Life is more than simply being alive not dying it's about more than being healthy jesus says it's about more than food and sustenance if you don't believe that ask someone in prison ask a very healthy prisoner if there's more to life than just staying alive ask someone who's lonely ask the people around the world who are oppressed by the government or people in authority over them life is about more than being alive being healthy you know, if it were only about staying alive, then we would stop doing some things. I would quit driving. I wouldn't have come to church this morning. I, I wouldn't have driven here because it's one of the most dangerous things you can do. When I was hungry, I wouldn't go to Pruitt's for supper. But we got to draw the line somewhere. And sweet potato fluff, to me, is that line. It's, okay, risk your life. I have to, I have to step over that line. It sounds funny, but in truth... It really is risking your life. 
Because we realize life is about more than these things. It's about more than survival. The body is about more than clothing. Uh, Again, I think clothing here is a category, a broader category of things. It's not as if Jesus were to meet someone and they say, Jesus, I don't worry about my clothes at all. I don't care, so I'm with you. I do worry about my household supplies, my furniture, my you know, kitchen equipment, my farming equipment. I've worried terribly about that. Jesus wouldn't say like, oh, well, then you're fine. Now, this is the stuff of life. This is the category of life's stuff. What you will eat, keeping you alive, the stuff that we have. What is the stuff of life? Stuff is anything that you believe it takes for you to live your life how you want to live it. Stuff is those things that the thought of it being broken or missing gets a pit in your stomach. Clothes, yes. Cars, furniture, air conditioning, amen. Entertainment, recreational stuff, appliances, tools, equipment, all those things. God forbid, I don't even want to say this, but our phones. Lord, I bet a bunch of you just checked your pocket right there to make sure you had it with you the stuff we worry about and we worry about it and the more we have the more worry it brings doesn't it as the rapper notorious big once quipped mo money mo problems i'm not as good at quoting rap lyrics as matt but you'll tell him i gave it a shot today but Jesus doesn't leave us here. He tells us, you know, life is worth, or life is about more than these things, but he doesn't just stop there and say, good luck with that, you know. No, he doesn't stop there. He encourages us with a reminder of the goodness of God, which is our second observation here, verses 26 through 30. Consider the lilies. He said, God cares for his creation. 26 through 30. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, Olagapastoi? That's the word there in Greek. It's one word, O little faith. O you of little faith. That's one word in Greek. It means little faith one. It's kind of a diminutive term. You little faith ones. You worriers. God will take care of you. God cares for his creation he is a great caretaker of his creation he does it in all sorts of wild and wonderful and curious ways one of the most fascinating stories in creation to me among many there's a i guess an animal there's a thing (laughs) called arctic woolly bear caterpillar if you've never heard of this guy it's really fascinating this caterpillar is found in only one place on the planet one island north of the arctic circle the weird thing about it one of the weird things is it lives for a long time seven somewhere between seven and fourteen years 
Normally, caterpillars only live a few weeks or a few months, but the woolly bear lives that long because, get this, it spends the vast majority of its time frozen solid. Frozen solid. It thaws out for a few weeks a year, wakes up, eats a few leaves, and then freezes back solid again for another 11 months. It takes that long for it to get enough vegetation in just eating a few days at a time before it can turn into a moth. Isn't that wild and crazy? You think about God cares that much about a little tiny caterpillar on one island in the middle of nowhere that he makes sure that caterpillar has food to eat, has a way to survive. God cares for his creation. I bet that caterpillar wishes he was like all the others too, but God didn't design him that way. Instead, God cares for him as he is. And Jesus pointed to some familiar examples in his day and time. He said, look at the birds. Consider the lilies. The birds. What about the birds? Well, the birds are pretty stupid. They don't think about the future. They don't worry about the lean times. They don't build barns and fill it full of grain. Now, you might think of an example of a bird that saves seeds or something, but in general, they don't have a care about the future. They do what they need to do right now, and yet, somehow, God still makes sure they have food. Look at the lilies. They're beautiful, aren't they? They're not just drab, colorless petals. They're beautiful. They're vibrant. And yet... In this case, Jesus says, practically worthless. They're good for nothing. To be burned in a fire, cut down and thrown away. And yet God cares for even these insignificant parts of his creation. And we are supposed to take this and just think for a moment. So I want you to take and think for a moment about the fact that God cares that much about these insignificant things. Imagine how much he cares for you. Jesus says that you are worth so much more to God than any other piece of His creation, than every other piece of His creation. He loves you and He cares for you. What's amazing about all of that is, even if that were not true, worrying still wouldn't be a good idea Because it really doesn't do anything for us. Even if that wasn't true, look at verse 27. And which of you, by uh, being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? In other words, worry just doesn't work. It doesn't do anything. Even though we feel like it does sometimes, don't we? You know, there was a, a, a husband who had a wife that worried all the time. Constant worrier. It drove him nuts. And finally, one day... He had enough and he exploded and he says, I'm tired of all the worrying. you got to stop it. It never accomplishes anything. She looked at him and fired back and said, Oh yeah, it doesn't accomplish anything? Explain this. How come almost all the stuff I worry about doesn't even happen? We feel like we're doing something. We feel like if I don't worry about this maybe something it doesn't actually do anything no one can add a single hour to their life by worrying as a matter of fact it might do the opposite all that stress and anxiety might shorten it but don't worry about that either (laughs) 
There's more to life than survival and stuff. God is caretaker of His creation. Third, verses 31 through 32. Worry is for those who don't know God. Worry is for those who don't know the Father. Look at these verses. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? It's the second time we've heard our phrase, Do not be anxious. Why? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. When we worry, we are acting like people who don't know God. That's heavy. That hurts me. I'm not saying that like, this is you guys, this is us. This is hard to hear. When we worry, we're acting like people who don't know God. We worry about our survival, our stuff. What am I going to eat? Maybe even, what am I going to do after I retire? What am I going to do with all of my possessions? They're fading or I can't keep up with it. When we worry about things like this, we demonstrate a lack of faith. That's hard to hear because worry is so common. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying. The Gentiles who don't have a Heavenly Father, they worry about stuff like that. They worry about these things, but you, you have a Heavenly Father. What are you so worried about? That's the idea, isn't it? What are you so worried about? You know, when my kids were little, I was a terrible father. I was... I didn't care if my kids had enough food to eat. They were practically starving to death. They went to school with no shoes because, you know, who cares? I didn't buy them shoes. I had plenty of money. I could have bought them whatever they wanted, but, yeah, let them, get, let them fend for themselves. They would get hungry. They'd ask for a piece of bread, and I'd just toss them a handful of rocks. One time they got crazy, and they asked to go out to eat. Dad, can we please eat some fried fish? And I just tossed them a live rattlesnake, and I said, eat that. Hopefully you don't believe that. <laughs> if you read a couple verses over, though, you'll see that Jesus describes the Heavenly Father in contrast to that. He says, you wouldn't do that to your children, would you? Yet, we don't believe the same of the Heavenly Father. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? The Father loves you. You have a Heavenly Father who cares about you, who knows your needs, and who provides for you. Worry is for those who don't know the Father. Worry is for those who don't know the Father. Life is about more than survival and stuff. God cares for His creation. Worries for those who don't know the Father. Finally, the fourth point, verse 34. Freedom from anxiety does not mean freedom from trouble. Let's look. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Why? Because there's not going to be any trouble tomorrow? Tomorrow's going to be great? Easy peasy? No. Don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Why is Jesus doing this? He was doing so great. 
telling us not to worry, things are going to be good, Jesus, God will provide for you. And then he says, and oh yeah, tomorrow it's going to have trouble. Tomorrow you might have some problems. As a matter of fact, it's so much you might not even want to get a head start on the worrying. Just let it wait until the morning. Did he forget that he just told us worry belongs to the ungodly? What is he doing? Now, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He's preparing us for a dose of reality. I think the biggest source of anxiety for me, and I would think probably for almost everyone in here, if not all of us, is tomorrow. Regardless of what Annie says, tomorrow sometimes is scary. It's fearful. We don't look forward to it. Our biggest anxieties are about what is yet to come, the unknown. What lay ahead of me? Us, my children, my grandchildren. What's out there for my parents, my loved ones? Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Maybe one of the most underrated commands in all of Scripture. It's, it's got to be in terms of difficulty. You're right up there with love your neighbor as yourself. How difficult is it to not worry about tomorrow? Yet there is something comforting in this passage. There's something comforting when Jesus says, Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. At first glance, it doesn't look very comforting. It looks like kind of a downer. You know, I thought tomorrow was going to be better. And Jesus says, not really. It's the same. Could be worse. We expect Jesus to come here and say something about righteousness and perfect obedience. We, we maybe expect Him to say something about how if you're doing it right, you won't have any trouble. But that's not the sort of thing that Jesus says. See, Jesus was our great high priest. What does that mean? He stepped into our shoes. He lived our lives. He can sympathize, Hebrews says, with our weaknesses. He's been tempted in every way like you and me. I believe even the temptation to anxiety, to worry. Not that he gave in to it. He knows what it's like to be tempted, to worry about tomorrow. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Jesus lived a real life with real pain. He had real relatives that passed away. He had real trouble in life. He had real struggles, real enemies. He struggled through this world. And those of us, I think, who are, who are tempted to be anxious about the what-ifs of tomorrow, to those of us, he says, tomorrow you might have new things to worry about. Seems like a downer. But it comforts me because Jesus was real. He did not give us a pie in the sky religion that did not work. He did not tell us if you just do this, everything will be all right and nothing bad will ever happen to you. Because we know better than that. You know better than that. I know better than that. He isn't telling you if you just quit worrying, the trouble of tomorrow will disappear. Jesus knows trouble. John 16, 33, it's, these words are recorded. 
In this world you will have trouble. Now, Jesus spoke these words on the very evening when he was about to be betrayed by one of his closest friends in the world. This evening, this very night, he was going to be betrayed. He said, in this world you will have trouble. The next morning, for Jesus, tomorrow, he was going to be charged as a political insurrectionist. He was going to be mocked, beaten mercilessly, convicted of crimes that he did not commit, stripped naked, publicly executed, abandoned by nearly everyone that he ever knew and ever loved. Does that sound like trouble to you? Have you ever had a day like that? I hope not. I hope you don't. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus does not offer empty religious promises. He offers hope. He offers hope. In the face of life's real problems and troubles, Jesus offers hope. What are we to do with all of this do not be anxious stuff? If I can't do that, what should I be doing? If you notice, we skip the verse here. Let's look back at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. No, this is not a formula to get rich quick. This is not a formula for an easy life of no trouble. This is a formula for hope. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What is the kingdom of God? In short, God's rule and reign in our lives, our families, our churches, our communities. We seek the kingdom, but we seek more than that, the King. We seek Jesus Christ. We seek to bow down to Him in humility and come to Him with our sins exposed, vulnerable, begging for repentance or begging for forgiveness and repentance. We seek salvation through the kingdom of God. We not only come for what He can do for us, but we come to worship Him because He is God, because He is Creator, Sustainer, because He is the one worthy of worship. We seek His righteousness. Oh, you can't have the King's righteousness without the King. You can't do enough before you meet Jesus to be righteous. You have to come to the King first. And once we're there, we can live according to His words. We can be sanctified through the obedience of His Word, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can seek His righteousness. There's nothing in this life that can overshadow the kingdom of God in our hearts. Later on in Matthew, Jesus would tell this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. A man found a treasure and he covered it up. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells all his stuff. All those things that he had to worry about. He got rid of it all. He laid it down. He sold it all and buys the field. Nothing can truly grip our hearts once we have laid hold of that great treasure. 
Once we've laid hold of the kingdom of God, this is the source. This is the answer. Seek first his kingdom. Seek this treasure. And this man and his joy was willing to give it all up. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all sell our possessions and become paupers. That, that's not what we're called to do, but we are called to recognize that those things, that stuff, is not worth anything. The great treasure that we have is in Christ. The kingdom of God does not come with a promise that tomorrow will be just fine, but it comes with a promise of hope. If you will seek God and His kingdom, you will find the greatest treasure that your heart can imagine. You will find hope in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, hope, hope is all about tomorrow, what is to come. And it is hope in the face of trouble. Not a trouble-free life, but hope in the face of trouble. I'm going to offer an invitation for you this morning. I, I would bet that people in this room, including me, are struggling with worry and anxiety. As I said, today I did not give you the 12 steps, you know, a simple plug and play. It's more complex than that. Putting our faith in Jesus is a struggle. But this is the, this is the answer. I encourage you today to do business with the Lord where you sit. You may come forward during the invitation. Pray. You might come to me and pray with me. You might find someone else you can pray with or, or later or later on today. There's no magic time to do this, but do business with the Lord. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ at all. You want some of that hope. You, you want some of that peace, that rest from anxiety and worry. And you're ready to lay down your stuff, your sin. You're ready to repent. I invite you to come to Jesus today in faith. Again, you don't have to come this morning. Uh, if you'd like to talk with someone more about it, I'll be down here. If you don't want to come this morning, you can stop by anytime this week. But I would encourage you to act on that. Think about what the Lord has done for you. Consider the lilies. Let's pray together.